1: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6.
2: Good evening and thanks for joining us. A province wide state of emergency is now in effect in response to the wildfires burning across the province. Nearly 600 wildfires in all are burning in BC, affecting thousands of people. The RCMP also now being deployed to assist with the fallout around the province. And those fires are also creating all kinds of air quality concerns. The smoky haze is thick in many regions. Richard Zussman is live in Fort St. James tonight near the largest fire burning right now. That's the Shovel Lake Fire. Richard, what's the latest where you are?
3: The prevailing sense here, Chris, is that people here feel like they have been forgotten. They're watching this fire get closer. The fire itself, more than 50,000 hectares. Some sense of relief today that the province has declared that provincial state of emergency, but still a lot of concern.
4: It's cedar siding, you know, obviously very flammable. They have the sprinklers on the top of our roof.
3: From Miranda Louie, it has become the new normal. The Watan First Nation under evacuation order, but people are still staying back to help. They
4: are frustrated
3: there hasn't been more support.
4: We knew we needed to to stand ground for our own community. We knew we wouldn't always get updates from MOF. We weren't
3: um, properly informed. Some extra help is coming today. The province declaring for the second year in a row a provincial state of emergency. The key priorities are the protection of public safety and property uh, and, uh, and that's how these decisions are made. It's the third time in 20 years a state of emergency is necessary in B.C. The largest fire burning right now in the province is the Shovel Lake Fire. Smoke blanketing Fort St. James, the fire bigger than 50,000 hectares. Melody Prince and her granddaughter Macy wishing there would be more updates online of what's happening in their hometown. Everybody's on edge because we don't know what's going on, to be honest with you. Province-wide, there are more than 18,000 people on evacuation alert. A lot of them are from the area near the Shovel
5: Lake fire. Going through the house in a little bit of a panic. I was like, this has to leave too. One of
3: those on evacuation alert is Heather Dirksen. She says it's been scary in Fraser Lake, looming across the water, multiple fires. Along with her personal items, the pregnant soon-to-be mother with asthma is getting the car ready in case she has to leave.
5: It's been very nerve-wracking to see flames there and then flames there. It's nice to have some people now recognizing that we're going through some really hard stuff right now with all this around us.
3: Firefighters from Vancouver Island are now in the area, and the federal government has provided support that is also expected to be on the ground here soon.
2: Oh, well, Richard, obviously everyone's hoping for the best, but what extra precautions are being taken to prepare at least for the worst?
3: I'm here, Chris, at Fort St. James, a National Historic Site. Some of these buildings here are older than British Columbia itself. And what they've done is you can see they've set up sprinklers to run basically as long as they have to in order to ensure that they can keep these buildings moist and to ensure that they can do everything possible. And I think precautions like this are being taken not just here, but in so many places all around this area, Chris.
2: Uh, Let's hope. They're not necessary, but uh, good to be prepared just the same. Thanks very much, Richard. Well, check this out. As mentioned, the largest wildfire burning in B.C. is the Shovel Lake Fire, estimated at more than 50,800 hectares. That's about 500 square kilometers. To give you a better idea of just how big that is, that would be equal to Vancouver, Burnaby, Richmond, New West, Port Moody, Port Coquitlam, and Coquitlam combined. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now for more on this state of emergency and what that declaration means exactly. Keith? Yeah, Chris, it's basically invoked
6: to allow uh, the fire service and the provincial government to basically coordinate and use local resources as they see fit. But it does contain some sweeping powers, including, I'm just going to run through a checklist of them. It allows the fire service and the government to acquire any land or personal property they see fit to use to respond to an emergency. Uh, They can require any qualified person to render assistance to fight fires. That means basically using local uh, firefighters and first responders if need be. Uh, They can control uh, traffic. To any area of the province, including an outright ban. And finally, uh, it can procure and fix prices for such things as uh, food, clothing, uh, fuel, equipment, and medical supplies. In fact, any items deemed essential in fighting these fires. Mike Farnworth, we caught up to him this morning, uh, saying basically he does what the fire service requests. It's not necessarily his idea to invoke these powers, but he leaves it to the experts.
7: The decisions uh, in terms of going to a provincial state of emergency are based on the advice of the, uh, the, uh, the, the BC Fire Service, uh, the experts who actually fight the fires and know what's happening, and in many cases have more than 30-plus years uh, in, uh, in, in fighting fires uh, in this province. And it's on their advice that these decisions are made.
2: It does give the province some sweeping powers, though. Mm-hmm. How long do we expect the state of emergency to last?
6: Well, under the act, it's going to be 14 days. This, this particular declaration will be in effect, and then it's going to be reviewed and possibly renewed. Last year, when of course there was a similar emergency declaration, that one lasted 10 weeks. I'm not saying we're going to last, a, it's going to last this long this time. It doesn't seem to be quite as bad a situation as last year, but I'd be surprised if it is not extended for at least a couple of weeks after the first 14 days expire. Chris?
2: We'll keep an eye on that. Thanks very much, Keith. And the reach of the smoke is extensive. You've seen it. And we'll have more on what you should and shouldn't do to protect your health from it a little later. But right now, meteorologist Christy Gordon has a look at how it's starting to shift. Christy?
8: Chris, despite what you can see behind me being so much thick, thick smoke and what many residents are feeling in their throats still and tasting almost, uh, we have actually gotten a little bit better today. The smoke has cleared slightly. Here's a look at the tower cam image From yesterday, just about this time in the evening, you can see how thick the smoke and haze is and it's making it almost dark and you can't see across English Bay. This is the image right now, much brighter. You can see across to UBC, you can see the barges out there. Certainly still a fair amount of haze, but a bit of improvement and we're expecting even further improvement again tomorrow. So when I come back, I'll show you how long that improvement will last and what it means for your weekend.
2: All right, we'll check in a little bit later. Thanks very much, Christy. In recent years, we've seen increasingly problematic fire seasons. Some experts say the way we've been managing the province, protecting the valuable resource, may have partly contributed to the problem. Ted Czernicki explains why and the strategy they say is needed going forward. Here you see a controlled
1: burn as firefighters light brush and grass in the hope that that will slow an approaching wildfire. But critics of BC Forest Management believe we should have been doing controlled burns on a massive scale months, if not years ago.
9: We start adding in infrastructure costs, business losses, evacuation costs, everything else, and these fire seasons run into the
1: billions of dollars every year. For decades, forest management in B.C. meant protecting the trees. And it's that policy that some are blaming on the wildfires we're now having. Yes, the province has done some burning of forest floor fuels, but not enough. You know, there's a lot of postage stamp stuff out there. You would have to have it contiguous. Right now, we've done so little that our fires aren't even touching our treatments because we've done so few. That means there's a lot of fuel out there, and BC Wildfire Service is among the many who now believe this is the norm. A fire season that starts earlier and ends later in the year, and drier, hotter weather. The, the report that came out of last year was... was called addressing the new normal. So uh,
10: definitely now we've had back-to-back, you know, very severe fire seasons. Uh, In the past four or five years, we've had severe seasons as well. And the fact that, you know, two years in a row, we're now declaring a state of emergency.
1: A prescribed burn doesn't mean a scorched earth. The process involves igniting only the undergrowth, but on a large scale, a scale as large as the wildfires themselves. So if we see disturbances at the scale of
9: 20,000 hectares, our treatments have to be at a very similar scale. I mean, prescribed burning is definitely uh, an important part of uh, mitigating and preventing fires down the road.
1: In the last 15 years, BC has spent about $81 million funding the Strategic Wildfire Prevention Initiative. It says prescribed burns require a lot of analysis before lighting the fuse. But if this really is the new norm, or worse, a preview of the new norm, then increasingly it might be time to fight fire with fire. Ted Schoeneck, Global News.
2: And more on how to protect yourself from that smoke a little bit later. Right now, though, Vancouver police are looking for witnesses and dash cam footage of an accident that claimed the life of a motorcyclist this morning. The video from our Global One chopper shows the scene at Broadway near U Street just after 6 o'clock this morning. BPD confirming a 54-year-old man on a motorcycle collided with an SUV and died at the scene. The driver of the SUV stopped and is cooperating with officers. This is Vancouver's seventh traffic-related fatality of the year. Abbotsford police are taking an unusual step, issuing a specific warning about being anywhere near a known gangster. Grace Key has more on what you need to know about Verinder Paul Singh Gill and the risk he poses not only to himself, but to the public
5: he's just 19 years old but already under the radar of abbotsford police his name is virinder paul singh gill and if you see him in public you're being advised to call 911. abbotsford police rarely issue these public warnings but believe gill poses a serious risk to the public we know that gang shootings happen in public and if mr gill is in public we believe that the public is at risk when he is around. Police say Gill is involved in the ongoing gang conflict in Abbotsford and in the lower mainland, though they aren't commenting on any specific incidents that he's been involved with. Many in Abbotsford agree measures like these need to be taken to keep the public safe.
11: Not safe out here anymore. You, you really, you got to look around when you're coming to, to shop in a grocery store. This is not right. This is not. This is not Canada. This is
10: not
1: the way we do things here.
5: I would take it seriously if the police find measures like that. Kind of went through this with the
3: Bacon brothers and stuff like that, right? So, uh, you know, I think the, the I think the community uh, and uh, has a right to be safe. We
5: believe it's important to let our community know who he is, and that if he is seen in public in Abbotsford, to please contact the police so that we can ensure those around him are safe gill doesn't have a criminal record and there is no warrant for his arrest he has family ties in abbotsford and often visits the area grace key global news
2: rcmp are working to determine the exact circumstances that led to a coquitlam man being injured by homemade explosives it happened in the 1400 block of ross avenue just after seven o'clock last night a man who lives at the home suffered serious but not life-threatening injuries the RCMP Explosives Disposal Unit was called in and disarmed a second item of concern.
10: It sounded like a gunshot, and then I didn't think much of it, whatever, noises. Yeah. And when we came back, there was just five or six cops pulling up at the end of our street, ambulances, fire trucks all over, so...
1: This was what we call a homemade or improvised explosive. Now, it's not a commercial explosive, it's not a military explosive. This is something that can be made with
2: household materials or materials you find in a store. Police say the explosion happened outside the home and they are now working to determine why the man had the devices. We've been watching this for a while now. A complicated resurfacing effort began this morning to pull a sunken tug from the Fraser River. That tug went down with as much as 22,000 litres of diesel fuel aboard and went down late Monday night off Deering Island. Nadia Stewart is monitoring the efforts to get this thing out of the water. uh, And Nadia, it hasn't gone exactly as planned so far.
4: No, not quite. Crews had hoped that they would be farther along at this point. At this point, you can see behind me, at the very least, the cabin is above water. But the process has been very, very slow. It is a slow process, riding the sunken George H. Ledcor, so it can be pulled safely out of the Fraser River. Despite the best efforts of divers tasked last night with rigging the vessel, it's still partially submerged.
10: I'm reluctant to give a time because... Um, I had hoped that we would be um, more or less sort of up and out by now, and clearly we're not there. So I would say we're looking at probably in terms of the actual uh, salvage piece, uh, potentially into tomorrow morning.
4: The tug went down near Deering Island sometime between midnight and one o'clock Tuesday. There are now booms set up around the vessel, stopping the spread of leaking fuel but a sheen has been spotted on the water as the tug is being lifted.
10: As the vessel was uprighted, we did see some, uh, some oil uh, come out of the vessel. Uh, that was contained uh, within the booms that had been, uh, been set up to, to take care of that very uh, concerned uh, and uh, Western Canada Marine Response was able to recover uh, most of that oil. There is some sheening on the river, but uh, this is to be expected in this type of operation.
4: Work continues on the river as a salvage plan is in place to tow the vessel to Air Marine once it's completely up and out. But there are still challenges for these crews.
10: We have uh, a strong currents in the Fraser River at any given moment. So we're working around the tides. This, of course, is, is also providing some challenges. And again, uh, you know, we're proceeding very cautiously, taking into account the, those, uh, those issues.
4: Now, there is the question of how this happened. Leadcore was on hand at the press conference today. But, Chris, the only thing that they would say is that the exact cause is still under investigation. Back to you.
2: All right. Thanks very much. Nadia Stewart reporting on the Fraser for us. Right now, though, a warning tonight for anyone who booked holidays with a Richmond travel agency that just had its license suspended by B.C.'s consumer watchdog. Our consumer reporter Andrew is here with more on what happened and what you need to know if you book through them, And Yeah, it's feared thousands could
12: be impacted tonight. Thank you, Chris. Sinarama Travel Vancouver does business online across Western Canada and in the United States. The company offers inexpensive trips to China and has offices in the US, Europe, and Canada. Sinorama Travel Vancouver, based in Richmond, is temporarily out of business. Consumer Protection BC suspended the travel agency's license effective August 8th and froze its bank accounts over concerns it doesn't have enough money to continue operating. The suspension notice can be seen on the door beside an office for rent sign. This latest action follows a decision by Quebec's Consumer Protection Office that Sinorama would no longer be licensed in that province over concerns about its management of clients' money.
4: That's really concerning to us because essentially when a business shows signs of not being able to have enough money to operate, that puts people's future travel plans at risk. We're concerned that it could be around 4,000 people or more. So that's a lot of people who may have booked between around September through until next year.
12: Now, Consumer Protection BC hasn't heard from anyone who has lost their vacation yet, but customers are urged to confirm any Sinorama travel plans are actually booked and paid for. This can be done through credit card or travel insurance providers. Now, we emailed the company but did, but did not receive a response. We were also unable to reach its chief operating officer by phone. Calls to the Richmond office were eventually disconnected. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at globalnews.ca.
2: All right, thanks very much, Ann. The families affected by the Humboldt Broncos bus crash will soon be getting some of the money raised from a record-setting GoFundMe account. A Saskatchewan judge has ruled every survivor and the families of those who died in the collision will each receive $50,000. But that's just a fraction of the $15 million raised. Ryan Kessler has more on the plans for the rest of it.
13: The emotional toll, fresh as ever, families of the humble Broncos are also struggling financially. To help, a Saskatchewan judge has approved $50,000 payments to survivors and families of the deceased. There's no, no amount of money that can bring the loved back. But for this father, the money expected in a matter of days means an opportunity to remember his Bronco. Our son Evan was a pretty impactful young man and left his mark on the community in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that we want to do going forward with a lot of this is just be a little bit more philanthropic, if you will, with some of the things that come our way. The payouts represent one-tenth of the net proceeds of the largest GoFundMe campaign in Canadian history. 15 million dollars. The remainder will be divided among the 13 survivors and 16 families of people who died in the April tragedy. An advisory committee will decide who gets what amount.
1: They will bring to bear their knowledge, their expertise in different disciplines, and uh, they will gather evidence and hear representations from families and make recommendations.
13: In court, lawyers noted some families don't want the allocations to be strictly about the costs of things like travel and funerals. They stated facts, Actors like pain and suffering should be considered. Eventually, the Broncos Memorial Fund will compile a report for a judge's approval. Broncos officials say it won't be an easy task.
10: The advisory committee could very well face criticism um, as a result of some of the things that they put forward or what, what their end result is.
13: The full plan is expected by mid-November. Shortly after that, the remaining $3.2 million plus interest is slated to be paid out. Ryan
2: Kessler, Global News. A long-standing fixture in the Vancouver music scene has died of an apparent heart attack. Randy Rampage was the bassist for the Vancouver punk band DOA. The band's frontman, Joey Keithley, sharing a post on Facebook bidding his former bandmate to rest in peace. Rampage left DOA in 1981, but later returned for two more stints with the band... He was 58 years old. And Squire Barnes joins me now with a little more on the legendary punk rocker. Our sports director is also our resident music (laughs) expert. But, yeah, this was a very important band at an important time for punk music. Well, Vancouver was actually
11: one of the big cities for punk music, uh, punk rock back in the late 70s and early 80s. You had London, you had New York, of course. Um, But Vancouver had a lot of great punk bands. And DOA was part of that vanguard. Subhumans, pointed sticks, there's Randy right there and that's when he rejoined the band I think in 2008 to record an album with uh, Joe Keithley and DOA. Uh, Rampage also was an annihilator. He apparently had just finished an album with his own band. It's not out yet obviously and he died last night. This is a guy who was legendary around Vancouver. He was pure rock and roll. He party hard, he played hard, and he'll be missed. This is a guy who, when he was on stage, just like Joe Keithley, you couldn't take your eyes off of him. Yep, and yep. There, was, there was talk that he didn't really like playing the bass, but that's what he played in DOA. And as I said, DOA is one of the seminal punk bands, not just in Vancouver, but across North America, and he will be missed.
2: Uh, he was good at it, even if he didn't like areas uh, You mentioned London, you mentioned New York. I mean, The Clash, the Ramones. And DOA, really, in this corner of the continent, uh, they it backed, deserves to be mentioned yes, in that
11: conversation. In fact, they backed up the clash, I think, at a show at the p e mm-hmm. back in the early 80s. And the crowd, somebody wrote on the, end, the side of a bus, the clash sucks,
2: DOA rules. <laughs> there, you there you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Right. We'll check in with you a little bit later.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS?
2: More than 40 people have been killed by flooding in southern India in what's being called the worst flooding to hit the Indian state of Kerala in close to a century. And the rain isn't letting up. The downpour is expected to continue until at least Saturday. The rising waters have left tens of thousands of people stranded and forced a main airport there to close. The death toll continues to rise in the wake of that bridge collapse in Italy, but rescue crews are still holding out hope of survivors. Italian firefighters are still searching for people buried under the rubble. So far 39 people are confirmed dead, several more are still missing. The Italian government is promising a full investigation into what caused the bridge to collapse. More than 30 people were rushed to hospital in Connecticut today in what appears to be a mass overdose. The suspected culprit is a bad batch of synthetic marijuana that may have been laced with fentanyl.
7: A massive emergency response in a city park. Frantic efforts to save lives. Police say dozens of victims overdosing on what authorities suspect is a synthetic street drug called K2, or synthetic marijuana. People blacking out. Listen, we're going to help you out. Panicking. This man fled when paramedics arrived. At least 40 victims taken to hospitals in less than 24 hours, some in critical condition. There were some that were unconscious, some were were nauseous, um, uh, lethargic, um, some in respiratory duress. At one point, a press conference interrupted by an emergency call. We're getting another call of a person. Authorities say the outbreak struck first near the city's main green, then spread across New Haven. Tonight, police telling us they have a suspect in custody. I believe he may have been trying to give this out as samples to people so that to get them addicted. You've been in law enforcement for a while. This, this is pretty intense. I've never seen anything like this in my 21 years. Synthetic marijuana are plants sprayed with chemicals, marketed as an alternative to pot. Just last month, the FDA issuing a nationwide warning about synthetic marijuana laced with rat poison, sickening hundreds and killing several people in at least nine states. In this case, authorities believe whatever caused today's overdoses may have been laced with an opioid like fentanyl.
2: Returning to our top story now and the state of emergency in effect as hundreds of wildfires burn across our province. Our Richard Zussman is in the fire zone tonight. Richard, a scary situation, especially in the area where you are and concerns maybe that the state of emergency should have been called sooner.
3: Yeah we're hearing a lot of that Chris and just over the last half an hour we've been here you can see and I want to show you how much the smoke has come in here. So if you look out across the water about 30 minutes ago you could see the land on the other side of the water. Now you can't at all. And when the smoke comes closer to people's homes that's when the concern goes up and a lot of them believe the province should have called that state of emergency earlier. You heard Keith talking about it earlier in the show that the province goes through a process here by which they consult with BC wildfire and experts about that state of emergency. But even so, there's so much concern. We're seeing people go to the evacuation centers. There's more than 3,000 people in the province under evacuation orders. And prominent leaders uh, in these communities are saying, you know, the province just didn't do enough.
13: Some of our chiefs, uh, um, you know, stated that uh, quite early, a few days ago, uh, last week, that uh, there could have been... uh, uh, better communication and more emergency services and more resources to our communities. And, and for that matter, the, you know, the regional district of Bulkley-Nechako was calling for the same thing. And uh, it's good today that they, there's a, a state of emergency call for it. It could have been done sooner in, in my estimation. It could have done, been. it should have been done last week.
3: And there are some people here in this region, Chris, who are under evacuation order, but are not leaving their properties uh, because of concern about losing their properties. Uh, many of those are in First Nations as well. And now we're just seeing some ash floating in the air. And I think that's going to be what a lot of people here in the region go to sleep to, uh, which is obviously very concerning, hoping that things don't get any closer uh, by the time they wake up in the morning.
2: Uh, we've certainly seen some apocalyptic pictures and, uh, and video from there. Thanks for being on that story, Richard. We'll check in with you a little bit later. That's uh, Richard Zussman reporting for us. The province-wide state of emergency also is prompting Air Canada and WestJet to offer customers who are scheduled to fly in and out of some of those B.C. cities flexible flight options. If you think you may be affected, you're asked to call your carrier and check in. And that brings us to health matters tonight. Much of B.C. has spent days blanketed in that haze thanks to the growing wildfires. Aaron MacArthur has a few tips on what helps and what doesn't when an air quality advisory is in effect.
9: Laura Burns has a tough job. Lugging packages around Kamloops in the smoke made harder with mild COPD. Staying indoors, just not an option.
11: Yeah, it's, it's tricky, but job's got to be done.
9: The air quality is rotten across BC and even into Alberta. People working outside in Edmonton taking the brunt of the pollution. Even reasonably healthy people feeling the effects. I think we have a
11: decision to leave about two hours because that's enough.
9: Experts say the best thing to do is stay inside and invest in a good quality HEPA air filter. But if going outside is non-negotiable, then a respirator with an N95 rating will be effective. But only for the short term. Wearing
10: a cloth mask, a bandana or something like that, it offers a slight bit of protection.
9: um, But um, really, it's it's not very effective. At London Drugs, pharmacies have been scrambling to fill prescriptions for inhalers. The warehouse recently restocked to make it easier to distribute medicine to customers who need it stores across the chain reporting a sharp uptick in smoke-related
1: complaints. The younger children, elderly or anybody who is asthmatic definitely has to be careful to make sure that they have their inhalers close by and actually stay away from anywhere where there's actually a high amount of smoke. So if it is outside, make sure they stay indoors as much as they can. In Vancouver, the
9: air is marginally better than elsewhere in the province. But still, an air quality advisory is in place. There is no reason yet for healthy people to drastically alter their behaviour. But the story changes the longer the smoke lingers. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
2: More than 100 pilot whales got themselves stuck not once but twice in a fjord in Iceland. The pot attracting a crowd of tourists and Icelanders eager to catch a glimpse A rescue team was able to drive the pod out to sea, but they ended up coming back the next day. The team then guided them out even further to help them find their way to open waters. One whale did get separated from the pod, but the kayaker went to its rescue, freeing it. And watch this footloose couple. Maybe not fancy-free how they made a big splash on the dance floor right after Christie's forecast. It's not funny. Well, it is kind of funny. It is kind of funny. All right, let's check in with Christy. Normally, we've got a great view up on the roof out here in Burnaby, but not today.
8: That's right. I'm up on the helicopter pad here at our studios, Chris, and you can see uh, still incredibly hazy conditions behind me, a lot of gray. And then that's the case right across the lower mainland. However, as I mentioned earlier, things have improved somewhat. despite the fact that it's tough to tell. Unlimited vi- visibility being reported at the airport this hour. Yesterday, we were between 10 to 16 kilometer visibility, and today, certainly an improvement with a, a light a northwest wind. Humidity a little bit lower today. Now, I want to show you this. This is really neat. Uh, NASA satellite image showing yesterday's smoke plume. Very thick, from Prince George down to Kamloops, and then we saw that one band that extends out towards the south coast. This is today. That heavier plume of smoke now shifted off into Alberta and Saskatchewan. That's the plume of smoke that's in the upper atmosphere being shifted by sort of the jet stream and the change in the air mass. Now we're seeing across uh, BC still a lot of smoke entrenched lower down in the valley bottoms. You can see that in that imagery and a little bit less across the lower mainland but higher up a lot less as that has shifted out of our area. High to very high risks still in through the interior regions because it's uh, really entrenched in those valley bottoms. It will take a lot to scour that smoke out of your area. Meanwhile, a low risk across Vancouver Island, now an improvement there, and a moderate risk for much of Metro Vancouver, except for the southwestern part of Metro Vancouver, under a low risk. So that's certainly an improvement, and we continue or we will continue to see an improvement, a gradual improvement tomorrow and on Friday. There's your forecast for tomorrow. Again, we are still expecting quite a bit of cloud, or I should say smoke, in that valley but otherwise a mix of sun and cloud higher up these temperatures lower than what they should be considering the smoke um, what they should be if we were to see that sunshine only 27 degrees so more onshore flow tomorrow we could see some morning fog both tomorrow and Friday otherwise mainly sunny a little hazy still so we're not done with that smoke but a little bit better tomorrow and Friday but it will get worse over the weekend and it's we love water Wednesday Jean Dalton sent us this one She didn't even have to say anything. I get your point, Jen. Thank you very much. You don't need to water your grass uh, only once a week for an hour. And don't shower. Just don't sit next to me on the bus. (laughs) That's a bit of a joke, obviously, Chris. But a way to save water, you could maybe have a bath instead of a shower. All right. So we certainly do need some water or some wind in the Metro Vancouver region. Not much, but a bit of a clearing expected tomorrow.
2: All right. Look forward to that. Thanks very much, Christy back to the dancing couple now cutting a rug in boston and as they enthusiastically danced a foot loose they got a little too close to the protective rope on the edge and watch what happened tumbling into the water below thankfully it was just a short distance they were able to quickly get out of the water and neither one was injured maybe maybe the pride took a bit of a hit there but They're all okay. That's pure wrestling, over the top rope. (laughs) Over the top, that's what it (laughs) looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Guy gets tossed over the
11: top rope. Uh, Good to have you back with Sports Now. Yes, good to be back. You're back too. Yes. Well, wait a minute. No, Sophie didn't Uh, come back. Our birthday girl. Is she, is her birthday today? Yeah, it (laughs) is. Oh, happy birthday, Sophie. I'm sure she's watching this show.
2: (laughs) Tough to stay focused at uh, work for soccer fans with a little afternoon whitecaps action.
11: Well, it's uh, the the first game of the Canadian Championship was great. Mm I mean, it didn't end very well for the Whitecaps, but excitement-wise, it was pretty good. It ended 2-2, of course, last Wednesday at BC Place, and that game featured Carl Robinson openingly questioning if the referee knew what he was doing, and in one play he did not. And Doniel Henry scoring an own goal on the Whitecaps with seconds left. And after the game, Henry was so upset, he made the always angry mistake of picking a fight with a wall. Here's a safety tip, everybody. When you fight the wall, the wall usually wins. Example, broken hand because he punched the wall. I get that he was upset, but I'm telling you, unless the wall is a Nerf wall, you've got no chance. (laughs) It's Alfonso Davies. His sore groin, not sore enough to keep him out of this one. He started, didn't finish the game, had a chance there. 2-2, 2-2, so Vancouver needs to win this because Toronto has two away goals. But uh, later in the first half, things begin to unravel for the Whitecaps' defence. And this has been a problem all year long. Great little uh, backheel here from Marky Delgado to Josie Altador right there. And that made it one nothing for Toronto in the 39th minute. 3-2 in aggregate. Then Jovanko, who did not play in the first game in Vancouver... He would make it two nothings in this game and four two in aggregate with a sneaky little header right there. That was a nice header. So that made it two nothing in the 44th minute. Vancouver's gonna need three now. Well, I guess two would send it to a overtime situation, but now they're gonna need more because Josie Altidore has made it three nothing in the 49th minute, and then Josie Altidore again makes it four nothing. Yeah, the Whitecaps' defense, sad. Vancouver does get a couple of back. Kai A couple of goals back, I should say. That's Kai Kamara. He's wide open. He scores. It's 4-1. Eric Hurtado does some nice work here. Gets it to Breck Shea. He'd make it 4-2. But Toronto would add another. And Toronto gets the Voyager's Cup again. 7-4 in aggregate. 5-2 the final over Vancouver. Hey, Tennis Canada is going to team up with the city of Burnaby and help build a new tennis facility in Burnaby that will have 24 courts. 12 of them will be indoor and there will be community access. It will also be used by top-level players out west as part of their high-level training for Canada so they don't have to go back to Montreal or Toronto anymore, they can do it right here. They will build this down at the Burnaby Lake Sports Complex where there are so many great sports venues. Speaking of great, Odlin Brown Tennis Tournament. Now tonight it's going to be Jeannie Bouchard. In fact, she should be on the court any moment. Uh, last night, Voshek Pospisil against wow. Benjamin Seguin. They had to go to three sets in this one. And Seguin put up a pretty good fight. 2-2 here. Pospisil oh, won the first yeah. set. Seguin came back to win the second set. Pospisil has won this event before. And he would win last yeah. night oh. to stay alive at the Audubon Brown Vancouver Open. If you're wondering, it's going on up at... Hollyburn Country Club in West Vancouver, its permanent home. But as we said, yeah. he will do in town and is playing tonight. Voschick, possible 30-set win. He's moving on to the next round. Milos Ronich, why is he squinting? Why is he looking upset? Why is he furrowed brow? Did he forget his contact lenses? Taking on uh, Malek Jaziri today in Cincinnati. This is a good warm-up for the U.S. Open, and Ronich looking good here. Nice cross-court point there in the first set. Ace to finish the first set off. Won that 6-3. to three. This is to finish everything off. And you know who, who he'll play in round three? Dennis Shapovalov. Ronich Shapovalov. Look at the weather after they got off the court. Ronich was asked to build an arc shortly after that. Well, he took a hard shot to the head last week against Ottawa, but it wasn't until today that Johnny Manziel was placed in concussion protocol, meaning it's unlikely he'll play against Edmonton on Saturday night. Now here, a lot of questions get raised. Why was he allowed to finish the game after the hit? But the Alouettes say he was checked out by doctors on the sideline and cleared. This is the play. It ended in a Montreal touchdown when the fumble was fallen on by the Alouettes. But right at the goal line, Manziel gets a full head shot. He drops the ball, he goes limp for a few seconds, but the Alouettes say when he got back to the sidelines he was coherent, he was closely looked at, he was given the go-ahead to keep playing, but he wasn't able to practice yesterday or today and now he'll be handled carefully until he is clear. Ladner's James Paxton, great pitcher, but bad luck when it comes to injuries and he does have another. He has a contusion on his left forearm After being hit with a ball on a comebacker yesterday, he's been placed in the disabled list. If all goes well, he'll only miss 10 to 12 days. He's got 10 wins this year, and the Mariners are fighting for a playoff spot, and they need his left arm at 100%, but the Mariners did get a big extra innings win. They've been winning a lot of games in extra innings this year, uh, 2-0 over Oakland.
2: There you go. All right, yeah, dangerous spot to be in. An amazing job opportunity on a tiny Greek island comes with a catch. You have to love cats. The island is in need of a cat sitter for 55 of the animals. It's part-time work, and it does come with free accommodation on top of the pay.
11: Does it come with free reactant?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, allergy medication is included. The Cat Sanctuary is looking for someone who's a real cat whisperer. You have until the end of the month to apply the Facebook post for the job has been shared more than 30,000 times. Doesn't look like difficult work, especially if you love cats.
8: Right. Go I would it.
2: do it. Go for I'm it. I'm allergic. <laughs> I know. Well, they do say that cats have nine lives, and a little kitten in Camloops probably used up a few of them. Midnight was found trapped 10 meters down a pipe at a supply company. It was a local plumber who came to the cat's rescue, and now, as Catherine Urquhart reports... That same plumber has given the little kitten its forever home.
5: Midnight is one curious little feline, but curiosity nearly killed this cat.
1: He's already getting himself stuck again.
5: Midnight is lucky to be alive. He's done very well. He's, as you can see right now, he's really calm. He plays like crazy. In July, he became trapped about 10 meters down a conduit line at a pipe supply company in Kamloops. Attempts to lure Midnight to the surface failed.
8: With Ariana's help, uh, just meowing down into the conduit, relaxed the kitten, and we gained the kitten's trust.
5: Then local plumber Dan Gross lowered a camera into the pipe and the kitten followed. Gross completed the rescue mission by putting a shirt in the pipe. It worked. Midnight grabbed hold with its claws and was pulled to safety.
8: We had an instant bond, obviously, with the uh, rescuing.
5: Now the Gross family has adopted mm-hmm. Midnight. Mm-hmm. Ariana adores her new kitty. I love it and I love me. And she's trying hard to keep him out of mischief.
8: It's just really nice to be able to help out and you know save a life. And in return, it's given us a better life as well.
5: This family, not in any rush to test whether <laughs> cats really do have nine lives. Katherine Cart, Global News.